Hello, friends. How's everyone doing? Are y'all doing okay? Has anyone had exams this week? Maybe a couple? Yeah, I feel like it's that time in the semester. Um, well, we are so excited that y'all are here. Um, we just have a couple of announcements for you guys. Um, we have light bearers here tonight. Um, and so if anyone is ever interested in what it looks like to do discipleship and missions where you live, um, that's what Light Bears is all, is, is all about. Um, and so uh, after tonight, if you guys want to meet them out in the lobby, um, they will show you what it looks like to just do ministry in that context. So to do discipleship and evangelism where you live. Uh, it's pretty great. So um, I'm super excited. We have a student that's going to come up and share an announcement um, from their uh, RSO on campus. Um, and so if you guys would give a warm welcome to Alana. Hey guys, my name's Alana and I'm a senior at the U of A. And so for all of the girls in the room, if you've seen this woman, her name's Grace Valentine, She's super cool, and she's gonna be here on Tuesday at seven in the Union, and she'll be talking all about ministry and just talking about living differently in college, and it's gonna be really exciting, and she's awesome, so yeah, y'all should come. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> cool. Thanks, Alana. It sounds super great. And, sorry, one more thing. Also, hopefully that QR code works, and it shows her Instagram and the Delight Instagram, and then also there's a Google form, just so we know how many people are coming, and y'all can fill that out. You don't have to to come, but you can. So yeah, thanks. Perfect, sounds wonderful. Um, awesome, okay, I am also super excited to welcome Andy up. Uh, Andy is with our Celebrate Recovery program and he's gonna tell you some fun stuff about that. Awesome, thanks, Eileen. Hey, uh, yeah, like Eileen said, my name is Andy Petrie and I have the great privilege of being able to lead our Celebrate Recovery ministry that meets here at Fellowship Fayetteville. And, and if I can do something real quick, we always introduce ourselves a certain way at Celebrate Recovery. You guys cool if I do that? All right, three people are cool, so I'm gonna do it. So, uh, hey, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus. I struggle with anxiety and depression, anger and sexual addiction. My name is Andy. Uh, hey, <laughs> couple folks know what's going on there. But uh, yeah, uh, I wanted to just come and tell you a little bit about this thing called Celebrate Recovery that we have here at Fellowship Fayetteville, uh, what it is, why we have it, and how you might want to get involved if, if you think that's something for you. And so Celebrate Recovery, it, it, it seeks to be a safe place here in our local church for us to deal with the different hurts or hangups or habits that we might have going on within our life. You see, every one of us, even if we've been following Jesus our entire life, we're all broken. We all have stuff, uh, and sometimes that stuff gets in the way of us having healthy relationships with God and others. And so Celebrate Recovery seeks to be a safe place for us to be able to find community with authenticity and to be pointed towards hope and healing in Jesus. And so you might be asking, all right, why do we need that here? Uh, and how many of you, when I said recovery, you immediately thought drugs or alcohol or some sort of addiction? That's okay. I did. Maybe I'm the only one. That's all right. Well, uh, if that is something you were thinking, celebrate recovery, there's actually only about a third of the folks that, are, that come to that that deal with some sort of substance abuse issue or, or addictive tendency. Everybody else is just dealing with the normal struggles and uh, harmful dysfunction of life. And in fact, uh, just a couple questions for y'all to consider if 
Celebrate Recovery might be something for you. Just, you don't need to give a show of hands or anything on these, but just think about these. Have you ever thought that if people really knew the real you, they wouldn't want anything to do with you? Is there some sort of secret or struggle that you feel like you spend a whole lot of time trying to hide and that there's a lot of shame around? Is it hard for you to really trust people? Or is there times where you feel like your emotions or your actions are controlled by the opinions of others? Are there things that you do that you just hate? And no matter what, you feel like you can't stop doing those things and they impede the way that you connect with God and others? Or do you have some sort of hurt or pain going on within your life that's unresolved and you feel like you can't share with anybody? Now, if you answered yes to one or maybe all of those questions, I can tell you Celebrate Recovery is a place where you can find hope and healing as you walk through that. Um, me, myself, the reason why I needed Celebrate Recovery is because I dealt with a 13-year pornography addiction, and I went into ministry as a career after college, still in that place with a lot of shame within my life, and it changed the way that I relate with God and others and myself. And I'm a completely different person seven years into it than I was back when I came here to fellowship and I was a part of the college ministry. And so if nothing else, I want you to know that if you're sitting in here tonight and you're a follower of Jesus and you struggle with anything, that's okay, Jesus knows that and you're not alone in that. And you don't have to stay stuck in that place. And so if you're interested in getting plugged in to Celebrate Recovery or just wanna check it out and see what it's all about, we meet every single Friday night here in this room. At seven o'clock from seven to eight, we have a worship service where we talk about what Jesus says about this thing called recovery or we share a life-changed story of somebody who's found healing and hope through Celebrate Recovery and the power of Jesus. And then we have small groups after that. And so you can always come on any Friday night right here in this room at seven o'clock. Or you can check out our website, fellowshipcr.org, and any information that we have on there, ways to get plugged in. Or you can just go to the, the national website for Celebrate Recovery, celebraterecovery.com, and look up some information there. Uh, and always, you can reach out to me. Again, my name's Andy Petrie, and the guys here have my contact info if, if you ever want to talk or if there's something going on within your life that you want to process through. And so what I love about Celebrate Recovery is that it'll helps us to know that the church is a safe place, that the gospel is true for us when our life is going well, but also when we're carrying stuff on our shoulders, that Jesus sees you and I in the middle of our mess and our story, and he loves us far too much to leave us there, and he's reaching out to us in that place. And that's what we celebrate every single Sunday night when we come into this place, and worship this creator God, this Jesus, this Messiah that loves us in the middle of our mess. And Isaiah and the team are gonna lead us in worshiping him. Will we pray for us, God, as we turn to worship? Or I'll pray. <laughs> now, Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your son Jesus and the goodness and the grace that he has afforded us. God, I pray that we would be reminded that there is a place and a space to come before you with all the brokenness 
um, in our world that we're facing and experiencing, God. God, we need you to change our hearts and our lives. Lord, allow us to feel the things we need to feel tonight and to go to the places we need to go tonight with you and turn our eyes to your son, Jesus, and to be reminded of his grace and his mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Sunday night, my name's Isaiah. If we haven't met before, and I'm really grateful that I get to be here. It's been, feels like a long time since I've gotten to come and it's 7 p.m. to see you guys smiling and laughing and, and I'm really, really excited. And as we turn to worship tonight, I'm gonna teach you guys a new song that came from the worship team, Dave and Jimmy and I, we sat down as we were processing through the Ruth series that we did this last four weeks or so. And we wanted to write a song that would connect the story of Ruth to us, to see her in a desolate place, far away from God and from hope and from joy, to see her redeemed, not just by Boaz, but also by the Lord. How her story wasn't over in the desolate and dark moments there. So he wrote a very simple chorus. It's pretty call and response, it's pretty fun. So it goes like this. You give hope, you haven't always will. You redeem, you haven't always will. You change hearts, you haven't always will. You breathe
you haven't always won. Believe this tonight. You revive my soul with every word you've said. He has, because you haven't always won. You haven't always. take a second. I don't know what all of you guys came to the room with tonight, whether you've had busy weeks or it's been really hectic or maybe you're on top of the world right now. Maybe tonight, just for a moment, we can sit still in God's presence and hear from him, be reminded of his love towards us and his goodness and his grace. We're gonna do a simple thing called the Selah, just to sit. Maybe you have something on your heart that you need to lay before the Lord something to confess to him. There's space to do that. Uh, maybe you just need to tell God how great he is and remind your soul of his immense power and his presence. I don't have the, a formula for you guys tonight. We're gonna take a moment just to be still in God's presence, be reminded of him. I don't know about you, but I know in my own life, in the last couple weeks or so, or days, I have some things I need to lay before the Lord, some things to confess to Him. Maybe you're the same way in the room tonight. 
take a moment now to confess, knowing that God isn't gonna turn you away, but draw you near. this to be true, that God in our sin in our brokenness still chooses to love us. And he chose to set his son to die on a cross to pay the price that we deserved to give us life for all eternity, to give us hope once again, to give us joy once again, to give us rest bring us back into right relationship with the Father, paid a price that we can never pay. And there's nothing that can separate us from God who loves us so, 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 so much. We can rest assured of the pardon even as we lay our sins at his feet. His faithfulness, it's because of his promises, that's why we can sing tonight. I pray that we would be reminded of that, of his faithfulness to his people, to save, to bring us near time and time and time again. I pray that we wouldn't lose sight of that tonight. Let that be our prayer, even as we turn to sing. You are faithful to who you are, to who he is. Let's believe that tonight as we say. Hey. 
pray that we would abide in your presence tonight. Even as we move from a time of worship to hearing from your word tonight, God, pray that we would abide, we'd stay near, stay close to you, Lord, that we wouldn't be filled with distraction tonight, but we'd press in and hear exactly what you have for us tonight, Lord. Let our hearts be attentive, be softened to your spirit wherever it's leading us. Lord, be with Jacob as he comes and teaches. Let every word that he has to say be straight from you, not from himself, not from his experiences, God, but straight from you. God, move within him. Help him to teach us well in your word tonight. God, we love you. We're grateful that we get to worship a God like you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. Thanks, y'all. Fellowship College, what's up? My name is Jacob Bookout. I graduated from the University of Arkansas just a few years ago. I've, been, I've had the privilege of working in college ministry for the past three years. And for a little over five years now, I've had the blessing of calling Fellowship Fayetteville my church family. So I'm super excited to be here with y'all tonight. And I was thinking even just this morning, reflecting on how it was just a few years ago that I was sitting in the exact same seats that you all are sitting. I was a student at the University of Arkansas and I was involved in Greek life while I was in school. And it was while I was in college that I was beginning to figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus? And what does it mean specifically to follow Jesus while in college? I came to faith at the end of my freshman year of school and my sophomore year was this like really just intense time of growing in my relationship with God. Like I was focused on what does it mean to follow Jesus? How do I pursue holiness in these areas of my life? What's it look like to share the gospel with people? What, what is this whole thing that people keep talking about, discipleship? And things sophomore year were just going great. I was growing a ton. I, I had the blessing of being able to have all these people come around me and just build a really solid community of friends. I was living in the fraternity house, having a ton of fun there, and sophomore year was just going. And when I get to junior year, I meet this girl. And y'all, this girl was fine. Like, like I, I hadn't seen a girl that caught my eye like that before. And this was the first time that I started thinking about, man, maybe I wanna take this girl on a date since I'd started following Jesus. Like all dating was before following Jesus, but now I was like, this girl. I gotta ask this girl on a date. And it, she was incredible. Uh, she was a year and a half older than me. So I was already like, oh gosh, like I'm already trying to bat out my leg here with this one. Uh, but she was super funny, smart. She was sporty. She was in a sorority, ton of fun, had great friends. She had a nose ring, which I like low key really liked. And so I was like, man, I've got to take a shot with this girl. And so I start telling my guys this, and I'm like, hey, I think I wanna ask this girl on a date. They're hyping me up, they're like, yeah, man, you should totally do it, you're in a great spot, do it. It's like awesome. But then I started to feel this like weird weight that maybe some of y'all felt, like for some reason in like Christianity, in America, especially whenever you're younger, whenever you start talking about like dating, I mean, you, you let it slip once. It's like, hey, I'm gonna take this girl on a date. And your boys are like, hey man, uh, a pump for you, just so you know, uh, July usually isn't great for me to go to weddings. And so if, you, if that's what you're thinking, like, hey, June or August would probably be better. You're like, what, dude, what are you talking about? But going on a first date, I know, 
but July, just forget it. I would love to be there for you. And so I was feeling this like this weird culture, and I was like, no, okay, I'm gonna do it. And we had started to become friends a little bit, and we're, uh, we're going to like some functions together in groups, and we went to the Texas A&M game together in a group, and there was, there was some like mutual chemistry there. And so I was feeling pretty good about it when I decided I wanted to do it. And I thought, okay, where am I gonna ask her out? It's the, the best place, the best atmosphere? It was CFF on a Friday on Maple Street. I was like, that's where you get a date. And so I decided I'm gonna ask her out then, and I text her, and I was like, hey, can I still come to CFF with you? Because she had hinted at me recently. And she said, yes. I was like, score, okay, let's do it. And so I go to CFF, hang out with some of her friends, we eat some good chicken, and then as we're leaving, we're walking out of the house, and, and I stop her out on the front porch. I'm like, hey, I've been wanting to ask you a question. Now, ladies, it's not very smooth, is it? Like, a guy text you to go to CFF, just him and you, and the one time you finally get alone, right before he leaves, he says, hey, I wanna ask you a question. It's like, okay, you know what's coming. And so I do it, I say, hey, can I take you on a date? And she gets excited, she's like, yes, I would love to go on a date with you, but I can't until February. February? It was October. Four months, I had to wait four months. What I didn't realize was that she was kind of right in the middle of a year of committing just to, to not dating, but she just wanted to focus on her relationship with God. And I respected that a ton. And so I was like, sure, yeah, four weeks or four, four months, that's great. And so I set off into the season of four months waiting to take this girl on a date. And things are rolling. Like, okay, I, she knows that I kind of like her. I want to take her on a date. And so, like, the chemistry gets a little more. And, like, I got to make sure I'm not flirting too much with her and all that. And it's going awesome. And then something happens. There's a moment that happens where I just get hit like lightning with worry. And the worry starts to slowly turn into some anxiety. And the thing that happened kind of right in the middle of those four months was that I heard about another guy that was wanting to ask her out. I heard about another guy that was wanting to take this girl that I was wanting to pursue out on a date. And instantly, I started thinking, what do I have to do to make sure that I have better chances than that guy? And over the rest of this time before I could take her on a date, my, the thing that my brain would go to is just like, okay, if he does this, if he asks her then, it's like, I gotta make sure I do this whenever we go out on a date so that way I can just, I can beat him or, or oh man, what if that's gonna happen? And I started to like just create all of these realities out like in the future of what could happen and then what, how should I live based on that? And it got to the point where I was like, I was, like, was kind of like bowed up with this guy. I was like, you ain't coming in like sweeping this girl away I'm trying to take out on a date. And like, I, would, I wasn't even near him. I didn't know who he was really. And... We, time comes, finally get to go out on a date, pick her up from her house, and as soon as we start going out on this date, y'all, all of that, all of that worry and things that I just painted was like gone. It just evaporated. Y'all, the date was incredible. I, she was awesome. She was more awesome than I even thought she was. We got to hang out a ton. She loved to roller skate, so we went roller skating. It was, you know, it was like, oh, you kind of fall and catch, and like, it was awesome. <laughs> And we went out to get something to eat, and we just had amazing conversation. It was like two hours conversation. And at the end of the night, I was just on cloud nine. I was like, this is awesome. I can't wait to be able to take her out on another date. And I walked out of the house, and I was just like, man, the worry that I had painted out in the future was just gone. 
And, and I'm glad to report that there is a happy ending uh, to that story. About a year and a half after that, uh, she actually got to say yes to marrying the man of her dreams. And it was that other guy. <laughs> They've been married for like two and a half years now. They went on a date right after me. Uh, I love them. I know both of them very well, still friends. Uh, so I'm glad that that happened. But y'all, think about the, the two months that I experienced of worry and anxiety over situation that none of those situations happened. The date went amazing, and then they got married, and like, I'm still here. Like, I'm good. It's fine. All the worry did nothing. But it sucked in the moment. You guys relate with that? Like, when you start worrying about something, you start having anxiety about things, like, it's not fun. In fact, whenever we're talking about worry, the definition that the dictionary gives of worry is to give way to anxiety or unease and allow one's mind to dwell on difficult troubles. And we live in a time in our culture that is so saturated with worry and anxiety, and I think it's because it's so easy to. Like, we're, we're the most connected generation on the face of the planet, and so we just get to see what's out there. We get to see whenever our friends get invited to something and we don't. We get to see how good everybody else looks on Instagram or other social media platforms compared to us. We get to see the hard and troubling things that are happening in the world outside, away from us. Russian Ukraine, for example. We get to see all these things whenever we want. And the more we look at those things and the more we start thinking about them, the more worry builds. And so often we can find ourselves uh, and instead of getting away from the worry, we just try to cope with it. It's like automatic what we try to do. Maybe coping to get away from the worry and the anxiety uh, looks like going to social media, which we already know, well, that just makes it worse. Maybe there's been a time in your life where coping meant, I mean, you're, you're using substances, alcohol, weed, pills, something to just get rid of that feeling, but it just makes it worse. Or maybe coping for you is running to a relationship and just dumping all of your feelings that don't feel good onto somebody else. But then they just come right back at you and it doesn't work. Anxiety and worry is nothing fun to deal with. And so the question that we have is, can we do anything about it? Is there a better way of life than just living in constant worry and anxiety over various aspects of our life? And I wanna tell you that Jesus does have something to say about it. He has something to say about worry in relation to our life. And before we get into it, I just wanna preface that if you or somebody that you're close with uh, is struggling right now or ever has struggled with any type of medically diagnosed anxiety or depression on that scale, please do not hear me downplay that. One, I'm sorry that that is a, a trial that you're pushing through in life. But I also want you to hear that these words that Jesus has to say about worry and anxiety are for you as well. For wherever you're at on the spectrum of worrying and anxiety in your life, for followers of Jesus, he has something to tell us all. And I think the main point that he has to say as we continue this series on the Sermon on the Mount is this. It's that God's kingdom is greater than your worry. God's kingdom is greater than your worry. And we're gonna see in Matthew six that Jesus is gonna back this statement up with two reasons for why God's kingdom is greater than your worry and then one response 
that we have. So let's dive in, Matthew 6, verse 25. The first reason that God's kingdom is greater than your worry is because worry is worthless. Worry is worthless. Verse 25, Jesus starts speaking, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? So Jesus, in this section right here where he starts off teaching, uh, he has just finished up saying some things that you guys heard last week. It was, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but in heaven. And you can't serve both God and money. And so he's, he's continuing with this picture that you've seen in the Sermon on the Mount that we have a choice. Like we can choose the way of God and his kingdom, or we can choose the way of the world and ourself. And he's painting the exact same picture here when it comes to what we worry about. Because you have a choice, God or the world, do not worry. Choose to not worry. Now, life's a little different uh, than some of the people that he would have been talking to in the first century in Israel, because he starts saying, hey, don't worry about food and water and clothing. Isn't your life more than those things? And most of the time, like, we're not, we're not asking those questions. Uh, we're, we're not thinking, man, like, where am I gonna get food today? Some people do, but for the most part, that's not what our culture is focused on. But what Jesus is tapping into is daily things in their lives that they care about, that they place a lot of value on. And we all have that. We all have the daily things in our lives that we place a lot of value on. And Jesus is saying, hey, I recognize that those are real things in your life, but do not worry about them because your life is more than those things. I love the way he says it because he puts it into like a, like a Jedi Jesus question. Like, hey, isn't your life more than food and clothing? Like for them, if you could compile just every day of how much food they had to eat and what type of clothes they were wearing for their whole life and just bundled it up and point at it and say, mm, that's what life's about. It's that food and those clothes that I wore. No, of course not. Of course, it's not what it is, but Jesus is making a point that we often go to that exact way of thinking. Like, it's really easy for us to listen to Jesus and say, okay, don't worry, how can I not worry? But then immediately start considering daily things in our life as the sum of our entire life. Just think for a second, like, what are some of the things that you care about on a daily basis? Grades, probably, most of us are in school. So can I keep my grades up? Can I keep that scholarship? Maybe it is relationships, the relationship with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, or the fact that maybe you're thinking about engagement or that you even want to be in a relationship. Maybe it's the career that you want to pursue after college and whatever you need to do in order to continue the pursuit of that career. And it's really easy to say, look at all those things and say, you're right, Jesus, all those things, they don't sum up all of my life. But we turn around and are like, I have been going on a few dates with that guy. And I like him, and he's a godly guy, but I just, I don't know, I don't know if he's it. But I'm also like, oh, if I stop going on dates with him, I feel like I might miss out on something there. And, and I'm kind of trapped between what, what should I do? And, you know, I'm thinking about, like, what, what are my next steps? 
You know, what, what do I need to do to pursue that career? And, and life's getting really busy right now because I'm trying to get into that really competitive internship that's gonna set me up for that, that dream job that I want in Austin. Oh man, I can't wait to go there. But at the same time, I'm hanging out with all my friends and like they're dating. And, and again, that guy's like really cool and I kind of wanna be with them. But man, the dream job, that's where I'm headed. And I don't know if this guy would even wanna move to Austin with me. And so uh, what should I do with this thing? Should I even go out on another date with him? And we just pick one thing in our life and we get stuck on it, going, 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 until we jump to another thing and we start going, 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 until we've created one piece of our life that's important, but summing it up as our whole life. And we begin actively living out exactly what Jesus is warning us against. These things are really part of life, but they don't make up what life is all about. And Jesus continues with this example as, why, as, as to why worry is worthless. He says this in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So Jesus is out here teaching with these people. He's on a hillside, and he's teaching a bunch of people who are part of the kingdom of God. And he literally just points up to the birds. And he says, hey, God takes care of them. Like, God created this part of creation. He cares about them. Birds are kind of insignificant, but he cares about them and he takes care of them. How much more is he gonna take care of you? And then he keeps going. Jump to verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is today here and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So again, Jesus, he's standing here, he's teaching, he just pointed to the birds, now he's like, hey, look at these lilies that we're standing in. Like, God created these lilies, and he cares for them, he cares about them, but they're even more insignificant than the birds, and yet God takes even more care of them. Remember Solomon? the richest, greatest king of all of Israel? Nothing on how these lilies look. How much more is he gonna take care of you because you are so much more valuable than this aspect of creation and this aspect of creation? Now, I skipped a verse, verse 27. Verse 27 says this. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Can you add a single hour And so what Jesus has done here, he's done something brilliant because he basically said, hey, look at this aspect of creation. It doesn't worry and God takes care of it. Look at this aspect of creation. It doesn't worry. God takes extra care of it. You in the middle, the pinnacle of God's creation, the one that God cares the most about, you're prone to worry. And by your worry, can you even add an hour to your life? No, you can't. In fact, Jesus was so ahead of his time, we know that worry detracts from our life now. We waste time worrying and we stress out our heart worrying and we die sooner from worry. And Jesus gives us this incredible illustration of the fact that one, he values us way too much for us to be worrying about having what we need or not. But two, we don't have control over it anyway. Whether we worry or not, it's not gonna change anything because worry is worthless. Can you think of a time whenever something like was actually making you worry? Like you were 
you were anxious about something, an outcome, something that you had to do, and you worried about it, and it kept going and going and going, and then the worry helped. Does anybody have an example of that? No. No, you don't, because whenever you're in high school and you're applying to all the colleges and you're like, okay, I gotta apply to A&M and I gotta apply to UT and I gotta apply to OU and I gotta apply to Bama and I'm waiting back to hear from all these dream schools. And you're like, oh man, if I don't get an A&M with all my friends, like, oh, what's that gonna be like? And the next option is, man, I wanna go UT business school, but oh my gosh, what am I gonna do there? And like, man, the college scene and football and stuff at Bama would be incredible. And what am I gonna do if I don't get into all those places? You come to Arkansas. It's exactly what you do whenever you don't get into all those places. <laughs> Doesn't matter, you're here, welcome. Or maybe, maybe there's, there's something going on in your family and you're like, your parents, are, your parents are not doing well and you're worried about them getting a divorce. Maybe you've been through that. And you start thinking, man, what is it gonna be like if that happens? What's my family life gonna be like if that happens on holidays with my brothers, sisters, what if my parents get married to other people? No matter how much you worry, it's not going to help because worry is worthless. And Jesus wants us to understand that so we don't suffer from it. So the first reason that God's kingdom is greater than your worry is because worry is worthless. The second reason is that God provides for his people. God provides for his people. Jesus keeps going in verse 31. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So whenever Jesus here says, hey, the pagans worry about these things, uh, that word, it could be interchanged with uh, Gentiles, the unconverted, non-believers. Basically, he's saying, hey, it's people who are not part of the family of God. They don't follow Jesus. They don't recognize God as the one true God. And as Jesus is speaking to people who would have considered themselves part of the family of God, he's almost like pleading with them like, hey, you guys, people of God, the people who are pagans, who are Gentiles, it makes sense why they worry and they just build their life around chasing these things that they think they need and want. And it's because they don't have a God that's going to provide it for them. Or rather, they don't know that I am God and I want to provide all of these things for them. They don't know that I wanna take care of them and give to them generously and provide every need of theirs according to the riches that I have. It makes sense, but you, you don't need to worry about those things. He's also doing something else with them. Because they were considered the people of God, by him comparing them to pagans when they worry, he was taking a shot. Like he was rebuking them. For them, they wouldn't even go to a Gentile or a pagan's house to eat. They would not enter it because they were considered sacred and holy and part of the family of God. And so that would be like me standing here talking to a bunch of Arkansas Razorback fans saying, hey, I saw how y'all were acting the other night. Gotta cut that out. We don't act like that. You're acting like a bunch of Texas Longhorns in here when you do that. No, 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 no. We are not Longhorns, we are Razorbacks. Even more so for them, they would have felt kind of the, just the knife in their chest, like, oh my gosh, He's comparing us to pagans because we worry. Jesus commands us to not worry. He keeps going in verse 33. He says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So instead of seeking the things that people who don't know God are seeking, 
Seek God's kingdom above all else, and I'll provide all these things for you. He doesn't say, hey, seek a little bit of this, like make sure, make sure you get you know, what you need and what you think you want, but then make sure you're also like serving me over here and kind of maybe split it half and half and get a good work-life balance going and then things will be good. No, he doesn't say that. He says, above all else, of first priority, seek my kingdom and I'll provide these things for you. And he also doesn't say, hey, if you seek my kingdom, I'll provide just whatever you want. You just ask for it and you got it. He says, I will provide these things that you need because Jesus knows exactly what we need in our life. God provides for his people and that's the second reason as to why God's kingdom is greater than your worry. So he's laid it out for us. God's kingdom is greater than our worry and we have a response that we have to make. Now, Jesus is going to go on to say at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that it is the wise man who hears these words of mine and does them, who applies it to their life. And it's the unwise man who hears these words and does not do them. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying here at the end. Hey, there's a certain way that you have to live based on exactly what I'm teaching you here about worry. So let's take a look at it. Verse 34 or verse 33 again, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and these things will be given to you. Therefore, verse 34, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus saying, hey, don't get wrapped up in the worry about tomorrow, the uncertainty, the things out there because man, out there is just not promised. Instead, our response is to focus on today, focus on following Jesus today, trusting God for provision today and that seek his kingdom today. That's our response, to seek God's kingdom today. So how do we do that? We've been throwing out a lot of kingdom language. It's all over the Sermon on the Mount, but how do we actually seek God's kingdom? Now, it depends on who you are. So in a room this size, like I know there's gonna be some people in here that you'll not follow in Jesus. You would not consider yourself a Christian. And that's okay, I'm super glad that you are here. And for you who are not yet following Jesus for whatever reason it is, there's a couple things that you can do to begin seeking his kingdom. And one of them is just surrounding, him, surrounding yourself with people who are in the kingdom, exactly what you're doing now. So that you can see, man, why do they believe what they believe? Why do they live the way they live? How can I get these answers or these questions answered? But ultimately, the, the one thing that you do to begin seeking God's kingdom is exactly what the prophets wrote about, it's exactly what Jesus preached, and it's exactly what Peter proclaimed after Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And it's to repent and believe in the good news about the kingdom of God. Because we have all in this room been in a scenario where we are not in right standing with God. Since the beginning of time, we as people, instead of trusting God and relying on God and going the way of his kingdom, have decided that we wanna go our own way. And whenever we decide we wanna go our own way, we break that connection and that union with the one who gives life. And the only consequence whenever you break your connection with life is death. It's death and the consequences of living for yourself that catch up with you over life. And it's death eternally separated from God whenever you are not in union with him because we wanna go our own way. But God doesn't want that for us. 
which is exactly why Jesus showed up on the scene. Jesus showed up on the scene to give us the perfect example of what a human should live like and what it means to live in God's kingdom and be completely united with God. And as he did that, he allowed himself to be arrested, to be tortured, and to be publicly executed for treason on a cross. Treason that we commit every single time we lie, we cheat on something, we lust after that girl or that guy, we get angry with somebody for no reason. It's the treason he was killed for. But then when he was resurrected by God because of his innocence, he made a way to come back into relationship with God by saying, Jesus, you're the king. You're the king and I'm gonna follow you with my life. And whenever you do that, you can experience the freedom from worry and anxiety that Jesus is talking about. That is how you seek the kingdom. Now, if you're a believer in the room, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, gosh, endless ways to begin seeking God's kingdom. But I love the way that Paul puts it whenever he's writing to the Philippian church. The first thing that he paints a picture of what it means to follow Jesus and seek his kingdom, especially when dealing with the things that we worry about in life, is to pray. I know that's like a Sunday school answer, but that's what he says. Look in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Paul says, do not be anxious or do not worry. It's the exact same word about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When you start worrying, something creeps in, just creates that cloud of anxiety. Pray, take it to God. He's a good father that wants to listen to you. Jesus says that we can come boldly to the throne of grace because of the work that he's done. Tell God what you're worried about. Give it over to him. And this peace that we don't even ever understand will fill our hearts. The next thing that you do, according to Paul in the very next verse, is to replace your thoughts. Thinking back to the definition of anxiety and worry, it's to meditate on these thoughts that are negative. And he says, finally, brothers, after you pray, whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Part of battling worry and the things we, anxi we have anxiety about is pinpointing them. What is it that you're worried about tonight? What is it that you've been worried about this week? What is it that you've had anxiety about for months or years now? Are you dwelling on those things? Have you taken them to prayer, in prayer to God? And are you beginning to replace them with things that are lovely, with the gospel, with the scriptures that God has given us, with the incredible relationships that we have with other followers of Jesus? As you start to get rid of those thoughts and bring in these new thoughts, worry will be alleviated. And finally, Paul says this in verse nine, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And so Paul, he had lived life with these Philippians and he said, hey, I, I showed you what it looks like to follow Jesus, copy my example. How are you spending your time? Are you, are you devoting time to build that relationship with God by digging into his word, reading the scriptures, praying, memorizing scripture? Are you surrounding yourself with people who are going to push you closer and closer to Jesus? And you forgive them when, you, when they wrong you and they forgive you whenever you wrong them. Are you engaging in personal ministry? 
Gosh, we have been given this ministry of helping others come into the kingdom. Are you sharing the gospel? Are you living in a way that people point to your life and say, wow, they follow Jesus and there's something different about their life? In dating relationships, are you thinking about the fact that, man, I date so I can get married to somebody who's gonna be my ministry partner and somebody who's gonna push me closer to Jesus more than I ever could be by myself? Are you putting on this kingdom lens to where you look at the whole world and see that God does not want us to worry, but to pursue his kingdom instead? Imagine if every believer here in the room like believe that, like really believe that to their core. They believe that God's kingdom was greater than your worry and you just live that out wherever you're at. How different would the U of A look? How different would Fayetteville look if we had just this room doing that? In fact, wherever you went in the world, how different would that piece of the world look like if you were able to live a life free from worry? Jesus tells us not to worry and to seek God's kingdom. And if you have the spirit of God in you, you have the ability to do that. And so my prayer for all of us tonight is we would be a people who do not worry. Let me pray over us. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy towards us because we don't deserve anything good that you've given us and yet you've lavished it on us. Thank you for the ability to find freedom from worry and anxiety by seeing that it's worthless, by seeing that you provide for your people and that we can begin living a kingdom lifestyle that frees us from those things. So I pray that you would enable us by your spirit to do all of those things and live a life that is meaningful for you. Amen.
Great week and we'll see you next week.